Hey, good evening. Welcome, everyone, to another week of Bible Study Fellowship. We're going to be looking at the end of the southern kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, and uh, we're going to look at about 100 years of that time frame. But before we get started, let me pray for us, and uh, we'll open. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, the way that you care for your people. Lord, thank you that even in discipline, you are providing opportunities for mercy and restoration and a chance for people to return and to receive uh, mercy and blessing from you. I pray that as we look at a hard uh, couple chapters in the book of Kings tonight, that you will remind us uh, that Jesus has consumed the full cup of wrath, and in him there is no condemnation. And uh, so, Lord, as we go to this passage, remind us of who we are in you and what you are doing in this world uh, and the love that you do have for your people. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the 1970s, Monty Python's Flying Circus had a variety show that achieved uh, great notoriety. And one of the ways that they would change between their different sketches was to say, and now for something completely different. In the 1980s, the anti-inflammatory medication that was called Nuprin, their tagline was little, yellow, different, and then they eventually added on the word better. Uh, 1990s, the Saturn car company claimed that they were a different kind of company and a different kind of car. As we move into maybe the 2000s, Apple Computer encouraged people to think different and potentially buy yourself a nice Macintosh computer. Advertisers have, you know, and TV personalities and people in marketing have tapped into the idea of being different to promote their products or uh, to offer a spin in their show or, you know, some way to reach into the lives of people. And I think that, you know, when advertisers and marketers have figured out, like, hey, this idea of being different... The desire that people have to be different uh, is something that can be that we can draw upon, and I think that we do have a, a sense in our hearts that a desire for something different or something new as we go through our lives. Perhaps you've said to yourself that you want to live your life differently than your parents did, or uh, perhaps you've said that you want to be different from your peers, or you, you want to establish yourself as being a different sort of person, and maybe you dress a certain way or listen to a certain kind of music. We, we look for ways to be different, to establish that we are not the same as the people around us or the people that have come before us. I wonder if that notion, that desire that we have inherent in us to experience the new and the different is one of the ways that the different kings in Judah would introduce a different way of worshiping, a different way of experiencing blessing, uh, a different God who will bring about different results, a new way for us to experience blessing in this world. Uh, they, they tapped into that desire uh, that we have for things that are different, things that are new. Um, and I think that sometimes, you know, we have this perspective on God, the God of the Bible, the true God, that because he's unchanging, because he's immortal, uh, because he claims that he is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, that somehow he's boring. 
that we have them all figured out, and there's nothing more for us to learn about the God of the Bible, and we tend to forget that God is also infinite. He says that his mercies are new every morning. He is unique. He's unfathomable. And no matter how long humanity has sought to know and understand God, there is always more about him to learn. Because the God of the Bible is unique uh, in, in many ways, it follows that the people of God, the people who are following God, should have unique characteristics. They should be unique as well. Uh, and I think that was one of the things that God had in mind when he said that the, the nation of Israel was going to be his nation, a kingdom of priests to bring blessing to the world. The, the uniqueness of the people would be something that would draw others in to know more and to be, enter into a relationship with the true and unique God uh, of the Bible. The problem is, is that when the people of God begin living lives that look, frankly, exactly the same as everybody else around them, something's wrong. Something's off. Something is not the way that it is supposed to be. And as we come to our passage tonight, I think that one of the things that we want to think about or learn is that God calls his people to remain in him. God calls his people to remain in him. You see, the thing about God that makes him different than all other, you know, lowercase g gods is that God is alive. He is real. And he says that he is going to dwell with his people. And that's what we see in the lives of the, of the nation of Israel. God was dwelling with them. And that's what made them unique. That's what made them different, was God's presence with them. And as you and I are, are following in that tradition of following God, our call is the same, that we are to remain in him to experience the abundant life and true blessing in this world. This week, we're looking at uh, the kings of the, the nation of Judah. It's like, whew, finally, there's just one kingdom of Israel now, the southern kingdom, uh, we're going to be looking at Second uh, Kings 21 to 25, and then also uh, some of the same parallel passages in Second Chronicles 33 through 36. I will mostly be following Kings as I go through uh, and look at the content. I'll pull in some content from Chronicles from time to time, and I'll make sure I try to call that out. But let's go ahead and take a look. I wanted to give us, first of all, an overview of the Kings that we're presented with. And then we'll do, it'll be our first division. And then the second division is going to be to take a deeper dive into two of those kings, Manasseh and Josiah. So an overview of all the kings and then a deeper dive into Manasseh and Josiah. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them up, turn them on, and let's take a look. Uh, so first of all, we start off uh, just, we have the, the first king that we're going to learn about this week is the king of King Manasseh. He reigns for 55 years and he has the uh, notorious designation of being perhaps the most evil king in the history of Judah and potentially the history of Israel. Uh, God declared because of uh, Manasseh's rule and some of his decisions that he made about idolatry and, and what the people were going to do, that judgment would come upon the nation of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, because of the practices that Manasseh introduced. Now, Chronicles does tell us that Manasseh repented later in life, but he is remembered for being an evil king. His son Ammon read, uh, reigned for two years. He was also evil in the eyes of the Lord. He was assassinated by his officials, 
They tried to seize power, have a coup. The people had none of it. The people uh, ultimately killed Amnon's officials. And then we have King Josiah. Josiah reigned for 31 years, and the Bible says that there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. Uh, Because of Josiah's faithfulness and Josiah's return, uh, God did not undo the judgment that was declared for Manasseh, but he did say that Josiah's eyes would not see the coming judgment uh, that had already been promised. After this, we have a king who reigned for three months, Three months, Jehoaz, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He was ultimately taken captive by Pharaoh Necho. Uh, Pharaoh Necho set up a different king, Eliakim, who also became known as Jehoiakim. He reigned for 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he was put in place by Pharaoh, but he became a vassal king to the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. We then have another king who reigned, uh, Jehoiachin. He reigned for three months. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and uh, when uh, he 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 did uh, he didn't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, but Jehoiakim did. And ultimately, when Nebuchadnezzar came to settle the, the problem of rebellion in the land of Canaan, Jehoiachin surrendered and was taken into captivity along with many of the royal people. And then King Nebuchadnezzar set up a king named Zedekiah. He reigned for 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He ultimately rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, and this resulted in uh, Nebuchadnezzar invasing, invading the land of Judah and a two-year siege of the city of Jerusalem, uh, which ultimately resulted in the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the city, and many of the people, the majority of the people, were, being, were taken into captivity and exile by King Nebuchadnezzar. A couple of just major points of note uh, as we look at those things. Five things that we can sort of glean from this reign of kings in the, in the southern kingdom of Judah. First of all, after, the, after Manasseh, the general trajectory of the kings is toward evil. We have 110 years and six months that are captured uh, in this, uh, this list of kings. And only 31 of those years, the reign of King Josiah was good. We have a new pattern in Kings where we we read about the names of the king's mothers. Don't exactly know why this happened, but in each of the accounts of the kings, we are told the name of that king's mother. I sort of wonder, you know, as as I was thinking about this, like, would you want your mother to know what you were doing? You know, sometimes you, you know, our, our, our mothers love us, our mothers care for us. And some of these kings might have been ashamed for their mothers to know the way that they were carrying on their lives. Um, all of the kings in the southern kingdom that were either those that, you know, that came to power on their own or those that were installed by foreign leaders were still descendants of David. Everybody whose name that we read about and however they, they, they came into the, the, the kingship, uh, God's promise to David of always having a king on the throne was not thwarted even though foreign kings were appointing uh, these men to rule. The other thing that seems to be true, my fourth point, is that genetics and upbringing do not determine if someone will follow the Lord. Uh, For example, Manasseh was Hezekiah's son. Hezekiah was a great king. Uh, He led the people into a return to the Lord. Uh, He was able to see God's hand. The people who were with Hezekiah saw God's hand in protecting them from the Assyrians. Manasseh did not turn out to be a good king, neither his genetics 
nor his upbringing guarantee that he would be a good king. Josiah, uh, perhaps the greatest king of the land of Israel, was Ammon's son, and Ammon was an evil king. And so again, that this notion that, that genetics or upbringing are going to kind of guarantee if people are going to follow the Lord, there's no guarantee. Uh, each person has to decide if they will choose to follow God or to reject him. The, the fifth point, my final point on all this, is that ultimately Judah is removed from the promised land. Uh, it, it, it's interesting, you know, I think one of the things that we would think of is that, you know, uh, maybe God would just be like, I'm out, people. You're on your own. Right, I'm just going to go someplace else, some other kingdom, some other city, some other town that God would leave. Uh, but instead, you know, God made a promise to Solomon during the dedication of the temple: "In this house and in Jerusalem, I will put my name forever." This is repeated for us in Second Kings twenty-one. Uh, and so, in order to have Judah removed. From the presence of God, the nation goes into exile, away from the land of promise, away from the city of promise, uh, away from the place where God had said that he would dwell and put his name. I think the, the kind of the principle for uh, this summary of the kings is that remaining in God requires repentance. Remaining in God requires repentance. Now, most of us probably take showers with some regularity. Maybe you take yours daily, maybe less than that, whatever it is. But as you know, as you as we go through our lives, we get dirty. When we shower, we get clean. Uh, if you were a shampoo manufacturer, you might want to encourage people to go a bit further. So if you wash your hair with shampoo, you should rinse it, and then you should repeat the process again because, you know, our hair gets really dirty. So as much as you're taking a shower, you, know, you should wash your hair twice. Uh, and if we think about the, uh, the, the, the way that this might relate to the people of the land of Israel, you know, the prophets were coming to the kings and to the people. And they were telling the people of Israel, like, hey, you're dirty. You're sinful. You need to repent. You need to return to the Lord. And the message of the kings and the people was, I'm fine. I'm fine. And uh, a time came when God stopped sending those prophets, right? The reminders to repent, the call to return, the call that went out to the nation as a whole, uh, that process came to a close. And so I think one of the things that we need to be aware of in our lives is that there is a time when we can repent, and there is a time when we will not be able to do so anymore. The, the nation of Israel lost the opportunity to return to the Lord. The time for the nation to repent had come to a close. And so one of the things I think is worth us considering is what are the things that God has potentially laid upon your heart that you need to repent of? What are the things that God has put on my heart that I need to repent of? Now is the time for action. If God has placed something in your path, if he has made it clear to you or to me that this is something that requires repentance, maybe someone has called it out in your life, a, a godly friend or someone in your church has pointed out, you've got a problem here. Do not delay because there is a time that we can repent and there is a time when the opportunity to repent will end. If you've, if you've been really dirty, if you've been out and you've been working all day and you've gotten all sweaty, you've been on a weeks-long camping trip, and you come in and you take that shower, it feels great to be clean again. And how have you felt 
after you've repented to the Lord? How has the burden and the weight and the shame been lifted off you when you have repented? Uh, Perhaps it's been a while and you've forgotten what it feels like to have a burden lifted by the Lord. Friends, God is listening. God is desiring his people to come back to him, to repent, and to experience restoration. Let's go ahead and move on. We'll take a little bit closer look at the two main kings that are in this passage. They, they had the longest reigns, and they, they had the most impact, and that's Manasseh and Josiah. So let's take a look at Manasseh first, and we'll take a look at Josiah second. So uh, the, the passage on Manasseh, if you want to follow along in your Bible, uh, we're going to be looking back at first, uh, Second Kings 21, captures the reign of Manasseh in Judah. So let's look at some of the ways that this passage characterizes his reign and see what we can learn about uh, his kingdom and the way that, that he went about his life. So first of all, he acted opposite to Hezekiah. Hezekiah destroyed high places and tore them down. Manasseh rebuilt them. Manasseh reestablished uh, idolatry in the land by reestablishing high places, places of worship apart from the temple of God. We read that he reinstituted or he instituted Baal and Asherah worship, and, and that's similar to what we saw King Ahab doing. Ahab was a northern king, he was an evil king, and the, the person that you know Manasseh is following in that regard is Ahab. We read that Manasseh burned his son in the fire as an offering that harkens us back to evil King Ahaz of the, the nation of Judah. He consulted mediums, not dissimilarly from what Saul, the first king of Israel, did. We have this, uh, this greatest hit of evil kings that Manasseh is, is acting like. Ahab, Ahaz, Saul. He's not acting like Hezekiah. He's undoing the reforms of Hezekiah. Uh, the Bible tells us that Manasseh led the people to do more evil than the nations that lived in the land of Canaan, the promised land, before the, the nation of Israel came in, came in in the book of Joshua. And as a result of this great evil, as a result of the fact that the, that the people of Israel looked exactly like all of the pagan nations that were around them, God declares that Jerusalem and Judah would be wiped like a dish and turned over because they have done what is evil and they've provoked the Lord to anger. As we look at the account of Ahaz, we began to wonder like, well, well, how long has this been going on? Is this, you know, is God really upset just because of what happened during the 55 reign, the 55 year reign of Manasseh? And we can see that um, that the Lord is in fact upset with his people because they have been rebellious since they left the land of Egypt. God has been patient. God has been providing prophets. He has been providing leaders. He's been providing judges. He's been providing kings to lead the people, uh, and they've continued to reject God. And if we think about the main sin that the nation had been doing, like what was it that they were doing? They were worshiping idols. The problem began with the golden calf on the way out of the land of Egypt, and it has continued uh, to this day, uh, to the time of Manasseh, and the Lord has said that the guilt of the nation has reached a point of no return. Uh, something that we struggle with probably as Americans is this notion of like corporate identity versus personal uh, identity. 
Uh, and, and so if we look at Manasseh, uh, even at the end of his life, and we read this in the book of Chronicles, Manasseh the man did ultimately repent. He, he turned back to the Lord, and he even began to undo the work that he did. Now, this did not remove the, the, the corporate or national guilt. God did not change his mind because Manasseh the individual repented. Well, so what difference did it make? Well, to Manasseh, all the difference in the world. Uh, for those of you that follow Jesus, for those of you who believe that you know we will see Jesus anew in heaven and we will see the people who are followers of God and followers of Jesus, we may meet Manasseh. We may meet people of Manasseh's day who turned away from evil practices and began to follow the Lord. But the national guilt, the guilt of the people remained even though individual people repented. Let's take a look at Josiah uh, as a kind of a character study in contrast to Manasseh. Josiah's reign is covered in 1 Kings 22, uh, and it goes into 23. So we we get two chapters of information on Josiah. Uh, Josiah personally sought the Lord uh, at around the time when he was age 16. He was king from a very young age. And the, the, the Chronicles account tells us that by about the time he was 16 years old, he was individually seeking the Lord. Uh, Josiah instituted repairs at the temple. The temple had fallen in disrepair. There were idols that had been set up in the temple by uh, former kings. And Josiah began to restore, repair, and rebuild the temple. And as a part of this process, they came across the book of the law, maybe the book of Deuteronomy. We don't know exactly for sure what book it was, but the, 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 the book of Deuteronomy has been referred to as the book of the law. And Josiah listened to the book, and he came to the conclusion that the nation was guilty before God. And, you know, friends, the only way that, that, that mankind can understand God's word is with God's help. God was present with Josiah and, and gave him understanding about how the nation of Judah had sinned uh, and, and had angered the Lord. And so Josiah was wondering, you know, what's the status of the nation? What's going to happen? They consulted a prophetess named Huldah. She confirmed that God's judgment was sure. God's judgment was sure, but that Josiah himself would not see that judgment carried out uh, in, in the land. Even though there was, you know, God's mind had been made up, nothing was going to change his mind about the earthly judgment of the land of, of Judah, Josiah led the people in revival anyway. He, he helped them to, to he understood that the best pattern of life for the people and the nation of Judah and for himself was to seek and to obey, was to seek the Lord and to obey his commandments. He tore down the high places. He removed the idols in the temple. He led the people in keeping a, a Passover celebration that's noted as the most significant Passover since the time of the judges. This is pre-David and pre-Solomon. Uh, none of what Josiah or the people did altered God's earthly plan of judgment. But there's more to this life than what happens to us on this earth. Uh, Hebrews 11 reminds us of that. It, it talks about Abraham. Uh, Hebrews 11.10 reminds us that Abraham was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God a heavenly city, a place that God intends for his people is in our future, 
is in our future for those of us who follow God, but it's not found on this planet, on this earth. Josiah must have understood that dwelling eternally in this, in this city was more important than a few more days or a few more years reigning as the king of Israel. The principle for this uh, character study is that remaining with God extends beyond the boundary of this life. Remaining with God extends beyond the boundary of this life. You know, the, the Powerball jackpot right now is like somewhere around like $600 million. And, uh, you know, people are buying tickets, uh, maybe in record quantities, because, you know, winning $600 million, like, it's going to change your life. This life. The life that we live here. In John's gospel, Jesus calls out to the people of Jerusalem, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you really know me, then you will know my Father as well. Jesus is offering something that's life-changing as well. And knowing God will not only change your life here, but it'll change your life for all eternity. And the great thing about the knowledge and the, and the access to God that Jesus is offering is that the odds of winning are 100%. Well, what treasure is it that you and I are seeking are we seeking something that will uh, bring glory to us in this life? Something that will bring renown and fame and, 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 and majesty in the, in the world that we can see around us? Or are we more interested in the glory that comes in the eternal kingdom and in the eternal city where uh, God's followers will dwell with him for eternity? And again, following God, knowing God, Being in a relationship with God is not all about tomorrow. It isn't all about the future. There's blessing today. And so how have you experienced blessing or joy or peace uh, as you have followed and sought after God in this life? You know, I think the reality of this universe is that the God of the Bible is the only person who is really different. Uh, the, the things that you and I interact with in this world, right? That all the people that we know uh, are broken and sinful and faithless. All the things that we pursue will fade and they'll fail and they'll decay. Uh, and, and the only thing, the only one who is different is the God of the Bible. Uh, he is the one that is different and unique in the universe. If we desire something that is truly uniquely different, only the God of the Bible will fulfill that need and that desire in our lives. And the amazing thing about God is that he's unknowable. He exists outside of this world that we're in. There is no way that you and I, with our five senses and our knowledge and our intellect, would be able to ascertain that there is a God that rules and has created the universe if he had not first made himself known to us. It is amazing that that this God, who is so unique, so different, so powerful, so complete, so majestic, desires that you and I, sinful men and women, would have a way to know him. Will we take him up on his offer? Will we take God up on his offer and learn all that we can about this unique uh, and, and unchanging and limitless God that is presented to us in his word? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and through it that we can understand more 
a little bit more about who you are. Uh, Lord, thank you that you continue to reveal yourself to humanity through the Bible, through the gospel, through your spirit. Lord, I pray that we would continue to learn more about you, your character, and how you would have us live as we study your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.